I don't have everything lined up and plotted out. But what I do know is I have to find a different place or a different space to be in yeah. because this is not helpful where I am right now. Welcome to the Thriving Lawyers Podcast, Episode 7. We have a wonderful guest today, in my humble opinion, and I think you'll think the same thing as you hear the conversation going today. Cedric Ashley is here with us, a lawyer in Princeton, New Jersey, and he has a very interesting and, I think, unique career going, and I look forward to having him share about that. Cedric, welcome. Thank you, Michael. Welcome. I'm glad to be here. I do have that right, right? You're still in Princeton? I'm still in Princeton. Yep. Great. I actually lived in Plainsboro when I was a lawyer for the uh, New Jersey Attorney General's Office many, many years ago. I have to give a shout out to Thomas Sweet's Ice Cream. Uh, yes. That was that was my go-to ice cream place in Princeton. And I'm all about ice cream. All right. Let's get to the meat of the uh, podcast today, Cedric. Uh, first, I want to just let the list- listeners know about your journey. You're a JD, obviously. You have a master's in divinity. Yep. You were an assistant DA with the Manhattan... Uh, uh, district Attorney's Office, where you were in a private practice, moderate-sized private practice firm in, in New Jersey. Uh, you were the Director of Academic Development at Rutgers Law School, mm-hmm. and you were now in solo practice. Do I have, did I have it pretty much covered? Did I miss anything? You, you got it covered. Okay. And there's one crucial piece I haven't talked about yet, and that's where we're going to spend probably most of our time, is your work around uh, lawyer well-being. Yes. So do me a favor and share anything else you want to share about about who you are, Cedric, and any other background you think would be helpful for the listeners. And then talk a little bit about, just as an intro to the topic, your work with lawyer well-being. Sure. I think most times I just introduce myself as the son of uh, Clarence and Ellen Ashley trying to pursue a life or trying to pursue the life that's intentionally set forth for me. That for me is by my God. That's all I'm trying to do. When it's all said, uh, that's my North Star. Uh-huh. That can be very loosey-goosey for some people, but it's it's worked for me well. Status, title, position, all those things are really external and they can be taken away at any point in time. And I'm really an internally driven person in terms of just what's meaningful to me and and how I'm trying to be self-actualized. So that's me. And and I think that has led me throughout the years and more formally probably the past six years to begin to do a lot of work around lawyer well-being and resilience and satisfaction. Just And it kind of started out just trying to help lawyers, try to help them find satisfaction in career and life. And that could be from, is it big firm they really want to go to, or is it the public sector, whether it's the big firm or with the public sector, you know, are they happy or content with the practice theory? area they're in or the practice setting they're in. So really just trying to help lawyers peel back all the different layers of the answer of I'm not happy and I'm not satisfied. So that's sort of what I fell into. And that's sort of been my passion for the past several years. And I'm beginning to spend much more time in that area. And you, you're still practicing, right? You still have your solo practice. Still practicing, yep. Where does practicing as a lawyer fit into how you introduce yourself, your, your North Star? probably would only come up if it's a matter of someone is trying to engage me as an attorney. It's a me- mechanism at the present moment where the majority of my income 
is earned. I, I can never be the president of a state or county bar association because I'm, I'm not a promoter of the profession. It's something I do professionally. I'm proficient at it. I'm great at it. I'm thankful for it. Um, it's something I want to do since probably age six or seven. It served me well in a whole host of uh, respects, but that's an external title uh, attached to a way of earning a living that is not just the core of who I am. Mm-hmm. One of the wonderful things about what I do is I get to travel to lots of different states and countries to do CLE and professional development programs. And uh, in, in doing one in New Jersey, you were on a roundtable for one of the programs I did. And I was fortunate to learn a lot about what you're doing with lawyers. I'm curious to dive a little bit deeper into how you work with lawyers and to help them find out their true passions, find out what will make them happy and content in their life. How do you approach that? How do lawyers find you? What does it look like? Give us a a thumbnail sketch of that, if you would. Sure. So most of my work up until now has been either small group presentations or small group coaching sessions, but significantly individual one-to-one types of engagement where over a period of sessions, four to six or so, with the use of a workbook I created, I would help lawyers work through the process of, okay, taking an assessment, part one, taking an assessment of where they are, because it generally is focused around dissatisfaction or not being content and trying to find out you know, what's going on. So part one is the assessment of where are you now? And that goes from everything from the various domains of life, from work to family, to personal, to social, to civic, to spiritual, to health, to financial, all the different things that that exist in our lives. And let me step back. I hate the title or term work-life balance, because as soon as you put those two words together, work-life balance, it puts work Mm -hmm. in equipoise with life. And it says that, that they're competing. And that's not possible because work is part of life. And if you accept the term work-life balance, work is equal on a scale to life. And life includes everything else, spouse, family, children, civic, all those other things, domains in life that I talked about, it automatically suggests that work outweighs those things. So I I try to use the term life balance. So in trying to find life balance and and career satisfaction, life satisfaction, I would take clients through a four-part process of where are they now? current assessment, where do they think they want to go, what uh, are the potential obstacles and barriers to get there, and then what's the strategy to get there. So what you're saying is work is a part of life. It's not separate. You don't have work here and life here. If there are things that are important to you in life, then these things need to be a part of your work as well. Correct. And for example, your values. It would be probably not the best thing in the world is if you have certain values and those values aren't being met at work. For Correct. Example. Correct. And that's one of the things we do. We explore values. Uh, so and in, in, in also going back to the whole point of life balance, nothing is ever going to be an equipose at all times. It, it's like popcorn popping in a popcorn cooker. Uh, there are going to be some things that will require greater attention. Family may require greater attention at certain periods of time. Relationships may Certainly require... Certainly, if, if you're a litigator and you're in trial, exactly. work is going to t- work take is going a to lot more it. of uh, your attention, right? Exa- exactly. So it's, it's a matter of recognizing all of these different levels go up and down, and it's a matter of balancing or maintaining all these different domains, um, recognizing that some will be at higher levels at 
at some times and some will be at lower levels. And you just have, just have to keep everything sort of within the pot. Values work is so important. I mean, people don't focus on values enough as it relates to career or job selection or if you're you know going for an interview seeking a new job you're always matching well opportunity that is out there skill sets and you're never really taking the time to look at how does this organization or entity and what they do how does that align with what my first of all what are my core values and how do they align with or not align with my core values and if you make that trade-off of i'm going to go to this place but I can see from the beginning it's not in alignment of my, with my core values. It's not fair to them, and it's not fair to you. As an organization, they will suffer in terms of you not necessarily performing to your greatest potential. Uh, so they'll suffer in terms of output and deliverables, but you're more likely to suffer from a physical or mental health perspective or just overall satisfaction perspective than the firm or the entity. So I just think that more effort needs to be put in on the front end of values work. I mean, I'm assuming the lawyers who seek you out are unhappy in some form with their work as a lawyer. Is that fair to say? Right. With their work as a lawyer, they're unhappy with where they are and they need help in figuring out where does that unhappiness flow from? Is it work? Or is it something that's external to work and it's spilling over in work? It is hard. I don't want to shortchange the fact that it's few and far between the people who are ready to do this work. And it's not easy. It's not easy to acknowledge and to admit that you're not fully satisfied with where you are in, in life. And when you begin to see what those issues are, and what you can do to change, it's not going to get easier. Resistance is going to come. It's going to build even more. And you have to be prepared to fight every day to move to the direction that you need to move to. Uh, because it's so much easier to remain the same, to be comfortable, to be safe, and to just stay where you are without making change. And that's really true. So the lawyers who, who have sought you out, are they at that place where the pain is overriding the fear of change, or at least closer to overriding it than for someone who doesn't seek you out? Closer to it. The pain of staying where they are is greater than the pain that can exist with the leap of faith to the unknown. It's, and it's less of a leap of faith. It's a, yeah. it's a plotted out process. I'm going to do a really horrible job quoting part of a poem from Anais Nin, I think. Uh Uh, Do you familiar with that? Where she Uh talks about there comes a time where the pain of being tight in the bud is outweighed by the need to bloom. Yep. Exactly. Something like that. Yep. Yep. (laughs) How did I do? You did good. You did good. (laughs) It's the notion of everything for the most part changes or it dies. Here's another one. Somebody told me this joke a couple months ago. They said a caterpillar and a butterfly were sitting in a bar together. And the caterpillar looked at the butterfly and said, you've changed. And the butterfly looked back and said, you have it. So the caterpillar is, you know, criticizing the butterfly to the butterfly because it's no longer the caterpillar. And how they and the caterpillar say, "Of course, I've changed. Like it was time to change. The problem, you're the problem, not me. Change right. is difficult." Yeah, and I think 
the legal profession is generally mm -hmm. conservative in terms of systemically mm -hmm. as far as changing, right? And human beings in general, do you find it's more challenging for lawyers to make changes as a group? Without a doubt, I would say it, for, for a host of reasons. One, because as lawyers, we have all the answers. We, we have all the answers and we, we are ready to debate and, and, and argue over everything. So that's the first thing. Second thing is we're not an innovative group of people. We were unlikely to, to create the next wearable smart device, but we will sure as hell make sure that it's legal and it's proper and there's no infringement of anything. In law school, they're really not talking about anything other than cases and litigation, at least that first year. So whether it's estate law, whether it's property law, whether it's contracts, it's all coming from a perspective of appellate cases that obviously arose out of trial level cases. And from the very beginning, we understand the concept of stare decisis. So we're used to fixed. We're used to predictability. We're used to uh, IRAC, issue rule, analysis, conclusion. Here's the issue. Let's go look at this book. Let's look at these cases. Let's put the facts together with these books and these cases and these ordinances and, and regulations. And we come to our predictable conclusion. So the ability to sort of get out on the high wire and be okay with change and be okay with not knowing the outcome is difficult for lawyers. But the sooner the person gets to that point of vulnerability, but not vulnerability as weakness, but vulnerability as strength and say, I don't know the outcome. I don't have everything lined up and plotted out. But what I do know is I have to find a different place or a different space to be in yeah. because this is not helpful where I am right now. Yeah, I like the way you said what I do know because the trap that many of us can fall into is fearing the unknown mm -hmm. and what's to come or, or worse, imagining worst case scenarios, catastrophizing. Yep. And one of the best tools that I like to use with my lawyer clients is when they do catastrophize or worry about what's next, especially now mm -hmm. with COVID, with so much uncertainty, to ask yourself, what do I know? Mm. Which brings you to the present because that makes it much more manageable to, to be able to just deal with what I know now. And for the lawyers who seek you out, what they do know is that they're unhappy mm -hmm. and to start there. And they're seeking change. You're coming to me because you want assistance in that process. What is the thing that brings lawyers to you? Is there some common event? As you said, it, it's a hard thing for lawyers to seek out change. What is it that brings them to you? Honestly, I, I can't say because I, I haven't done that type of you know, sort of like, okay, gateway. Hey, it's just sort of we just roll into the, the relationship. But, but it's definitely, I, I can say this, I'm usually working with folks where there's some level of dissatisfaction and there's a desire to change. I'm not here to help you with job interviews. I'm not here to help you with branding and, and all those things. I'm helping you find who you are. I'm helping you find where those pain points are in whatever aspect of life and trying to use that to relieve that pain in whatever aspect that it is. So paling back the onion, finding the pain, relieving that pain and hopefully you will then begin to live the life that you're seeking out. That sounds great. I'm even exhaling as you're describing that. <laughs> and you mentioned vulnerability and Brene Brown. A lot of folks know who she is, talks a lot about that vulnerability being a strength. What about the, the practice of law, do you think, plays a part for these lawyers who come to see you? I think it's to a certain degree, the profession is a blessing and a curse. 
So they're coming to us because one, they, they have in general, it's, it's a big difference between a person who say things are fine. I'm coming to you because you're an estate planning lawyer and I want you to do my estate plan because things are fine. and I want them to be fine for generations to come. But a significant portion of and, and that won't make, unfortunately, or fortunately, that won't make for the great TV show that we all see. That's that's going to die quickly. For the most part, we're, we're led to see the law as a dispute, the fighter, the, the I mean, all the different TV shows that are on. And then we go into this legal uh, educational system where we're learning about disputes. And it's you got to argue this side, you got to argue that side. And the professor's student going to do a Socratic method and you got to be prepared and he's going to try, he or she will try to push you into, into circles. So our profession is, is very much based upon a litigation type practice and litigation. Adversarial. Adversarial. And they're coming because something, business, employment, family, there's something that caused a breakdown in a relationship or criminal. I mean, there wasn't a relationship, but somebody allegedly transgressed the law. They're coming to you because they're in some type of legal situation, but it's also a painful and a traumatic one. And they want us to be their avatar to do battle for them. And all the RPCs basically said, we've got to be the avatar. We, you know, professionally with, with the civility, within the rules, ethically, but we have to be their avatar. And we recognize that the only reason they come to us is because they have experienced pain through this now broken relationship. And we're viewed as the expert. So we're viewed as the expert. And then once we put the briefcase down at whatever time we go, before COVID-19, we went to the, the networking event or the reception, and everyone sees us as the lawyer, the expert. You've got all the answers. I've got a quick question. Or we serve on a board, and we're serving as a board member, not as counsel to the board, but as a board member. So anything that remotely comes up, let's turn to the expert. And hopefully this COVID-19 in some states has helped lawyers realize that in certain scenarios, we're not essential. It's the, the guy or gal at Costco moving food or packing food or, or stocking food or delivering food that in this day and age right now in spring 2020 in America, that person has de- is deemed essential. And many of the lawyers are sort of working from home, if at and, all. And why would that be a positive development for, that lawyers can see that they're not essential? For me, and this you know, may not be for everyone. But it helps, I think, humility, humility mm. over hubris. It helps to frame out that, you know, when it's all said and done, what we do is honorable. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of litigation, civil liberties, liberation, litigation, and all kinds of things that will evolve from the various shutdowns when we get back up and running. But it just helps, I think, for me to remain humble and have humility and realize that, hey, this, this is important what I do, but when it's all said and done, this is not holding society together. We'll get to the Constitution. We'll get to the writs of habeas corpus and all that kind of stuff. But for right now, we want light, power. We want peace in the streets. We want food. Uh, we, and we want to be disease-free. So it hopefully helps attorneys to see that you don't have to carry all of the burdens, all of the time. I wonder too, Cedric, if it'll help lawyers see 
that they're not irreplaceable mm, also in a related well, way. I don't know. That can be one of the issues that gets in the way of self-care and sure. well-being. If this right? doesn't help them understand that they will, they are replaceable, then they should have, hopefully they've been paying attention to the movements of law and hopefully they will look ahead to the next five years. So between outsourcing, offshoring, artificial intelligence, fragmentation of, of different aspects of the legal services from insurance companies saying we're no longer paying first and second year associates to do work that paralegals can do. And and also the commodification of services. I mean, the, there was a time, even if something as minor as, you know, municipal court type matters, and speeding and traffic matters. I mean, that's all available all online, if not at the court website via some Google search and a person is potentially coming, I stay away from municipal court as much as possible, but a person's coming to you already saying, well, I, I know I can get this points reduced to that and whatever. And I already talked to six different lawyers and, and they're just trying to seek out the least cost uh, attorney they can, they can hire to just do this limited service if they're needed for that. So if this hasn't served as a wake up call, there'll be more wake up calls to come, not as tragic, but there'll be more wake up yeah, calls to come. That concludes part one of my interview with Cedric Ashley. Join us next week for part two. See you then. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Thriving Lawyers podcast. We love hearing from our loyal listeners, so please feel free to email us any questions, comments, suggested topics, or guest recommendations at the following address, feedback at thrivinglawyerspodcast.com. The Thriving Lawyers podcast is brought to you by Real-Time Creative Learning Experiences, a national provider of continuing legal education and professional development programs that leave participants engaged, encouraged, and equipped to pursue meaningful and sustainable change in their practices, their lives, and the organizations they work in. And by Osborne Conflict Resolution, your experienced guides through the uncharted terrain of business and family law disputes based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Thriving Lawyers Podcast.